Gaming MBS episode 175 coming to you January 24th, 2018. Welcome to Gaming NBS, the tabletop RPG podcast. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett, who can't work the mute button. Hey, glad to be here. How you doing, man? All right, Brett. Good grief. Well, that was really loud at the beginning. It was a little bit loud, but I like it. Kind of woke me right up. Because I'm sleepy. I gotta stop doing that so loud. <sighs> Excuse me. Damn it. How are you doing, man? Good? Yeah, doing fantastic. You not Still too got bad. That cough, man. It's a little bit. It's it's going. It's going away. It's like freaking. What is that? Twelve weeks? Yeah, about that. Jesus. This has happened before. It's always stays here. It's great fun. On the upside, though, I bought my Gary Con badge. Have you bought your Gary Con badge yet? I have not bought my Gary Con badge. So you gotta get your Gary Con badge because once you have it, it's hard to be told you can't go because you've already spent the money. See? Oh God. Hey, that helps. It all helps. It shouldn't be a problem. I'm a little worried because my dog is on medicine, and I'm the one that pills him twice a day with, like, five pills. Wow. That sucks. Yeah. He's, he's got heart disease. Oh, good Lord. Yeah. That's he's, too bad. Well, and he's got this. I can't remember what the condition's called, but what happens is the heart gets enlarged, and there's a shitty valve. Okay. And then it, I think the lungs, something happens where presses up against the trachea. Jeez. So he gets some pretty nasty coughing fits. Sounds uh, like me. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> Your dog sounds like me. That's terrible. Probably worse. Probably. Yeah, he's. Oh, that sucks, man. I know. Damn dog. Damn pets. I know. It's a shame we love them. I know it. Anyway, Anyways. so in, in addition to uh, Gary Con, which is coming up in March, Sean and I will be there. Um, I want to throw a thing out there, and I, had, I had not had a chance to bug Sean about this yet, but I have, in my hometown, uh, one of the local gamers came to Evercon this year, nice guy named Bill. He came up to me and said, hey, there's this game master named Aaron. From uh, He's been to Game Hole and stuff, and I think he lives out in Eau Claire, but he's running this Adventures League game. I have no idea what that's about. I said, well, do you know 5e? Yeah. He said, but I don't know. Do I have to come with the character or what? And I said, well, let me go find Aaron and see how he's running it. So I bug Aaron, ask him what it's up, come back and say, hey, Bill, here's the deal. You could do this, this, or this. I give him the layout because Aaron, smart man, came prepared and knew full well that he may have people who don't know what it's about and want to make sure he teaches and so on. Well, Bill sits down, plays with him, and just fucking loves it. So he goes over to Johnny C from Johnny C Cards, a little big local gaming store in my hometown, and says, hey, if I can figure out how to do this, can I run Adventures League at your shop? And John's like, uh, fuck yeah, I got gaming room just specifically for that. So, <laughs> Sean, who the hell do I talk to so I can, because Bill got a hold of me and said, Brett, do you happen to know anybody who knows something about Adventures League that I could talk to? And I'm like, I, I could probably find out. Let me see. So here I am. I'm asking you. Do you know anybody? So if you're in Wisconsin and you yes. want to do Adventures League, mm-hmm. you would speak to Joe Alfano. Joe Alfano. Yep. He's a listener of the show. And then uh, Tom Thomas Valley, but Tom's in Florida, but he does all the Adventures League for Gamehole Con and Gary Con. Him and Joe both. Okay, so they're going to be at Gary Con. Th- they will, yes. Cool. 
I would be blown away if Tom couldn't be there. Joe should be there. All right. Sure. But, yeah. Yep. Those are the big two-head honchos. Well, if Joe's, a, if Joe's the man in Wisconsin, I'll look him up. And, uh, Joe, hopefully, if, if you hear this and I have not found you, please find us. Hit me over at gamingnbs at gmail.com. Email us, and uh, I'll get a hold of you, and I can hook you and this gentleman up because uh, he's pretty uh, he's pretty stoked. He loved it and would like to try to get some more serious gaming going. So that was uh, that made me pretty happy. They have a meetup, I believe. So he could easily go to meetup.com. I think it's like Madison Adventurers League or something like that. They're all on there. Joe posts updates, and then it gets propagated via email okay. as as Meetup is wont to do. Nice. Yeah. Well, well, cool. Oh, the other thing, I didn't put it in the list here, so thank you for that, Sean. And um, and Joe, thank you in advance for helping me out as I want to get this guy set up. But my two little kids, uh, 11 and 9, AJ and Alana, they had this little gaming club thing that the school had started. We're trying to get kids to play chess and board games, just knowing how popular it is. It started last year and kind of fizzled, and the teachers take another run at it. This year, AJ and Lana said, we want to play D&D. And I said, well, is anyone going to run it? And they both said, well, we're going to run it. Our friends, have, we've talked about it with our friends, and so we want to do this. So Alana played, ran with some of her friends, and AJ ran with his, and Alana had people she'd never played with before because one friend backed out, said she didn't want to do it, so somebody else sat down. And they had a freaking blast. And what happened was after they got done with it, they're like, well, the club doesn't meet, but hardly once a month. It's kind of sketchy, and it's not really well organized. So, Dad, do you think we could run? Do you, do you think we could have it, like, at our house? I'm like, I, I suppose. I ask mom. Oh, Mom already said we could do it. Like, once a month, this would be great. We could have all our friends over. So, I don't know when, but it looks like I'm going to have uh, at least one day a month where I'm going to have a house full of kids. With uh, two different D&D games going. That will be kind of cool. How many times a month? Once. I think once a month. Should work out fine. Oh, sure. Sounds yeah. fantastic. Should be good. We're thinking of doing a deal where I run, like, one weekend. One session I'll run for, like, Ilana and her friends while AJ runs for his buddies. And then we either break and switch. Or next time they come over, we switch where I run for Ilana and her friends. So she gets a chance to play. And it just a chance to play until their friends are ready and really want to be game, game masters too. So kind of cool. Boy, oh boy. Yeah, I like it. It's kind of cool stuff. Anyway, um, I think we're good, man. Shall we uh, on to the random encounter? Random encounter. Let's do random encounter. Looks like we got a voicemail. Who's it from? Eric Frankhouse. Ah, sweet. What's he got to say? Let's hear. Hey, Brett and Sean. This is Eric Frankhouse from EFP calling about episode 174. And you guys talked about what I look for in a game or what we look for in a game and the X cards. I'm going to go over a little bit of both. I think what I look for in a game really depends on if I'm running at a convention, running it for my regular group, or if it's a game system that I want to test out. So for my home group, I like to mix it up. Um, our preferred now is Cypher System. We played a lot of Pathfinder before that. I'm with Sean. I'm kind of, it's like the TV dinner. I don't really need that anymore. While I love it, I love this staff, and they're some of my favorite people, it's not exactly what I want to play now. Uh, 
We just jumped into 5e. I got to say I'm really enjoying it other than the attunement rules, which I'm changing. And I think that brings me to what I look for in a system. I need a system that is flexible enough that I can change what is what I'm playing, what I'm doing, and how it functions. If I don't like something in the system, I need the ability to to chop it up and rearrange it. And most systems can do that, but some are so so deep or or even poorly designed, a la Shadowrun or GURPS back in the day or Rifts, adding rules to it felt like when you tacked it on, it just didn't belong. So games like Cypher System and 5e, I can easily turn around and add new rules to it. So that's important to me. But I think most of all, the setting determines my system instead of the system determining the setting. The story I want to tell kind of determines how what system I want to run. Fantasy Flight Game Star Wars is a prime example. I could go back and play D6 Star Wars or Saga Edition. I have all those books, but the Fantasy Flight Games version of Star Wars has a little bit more of a narrative drive, and I really enjoy that, and my players enjoy it. It's a little bit of training method. You know, all I used to do is play Pathfinder. So, for sure, my system has to fit my setting. And that's kind of why we switched to D&D. I wanted high magic and thought it would be fun. But I found there's attunement rules, and it's really making me have to work to make my D&D game feel like high magic. Really weird to say. It feels like sword and sorcery the way they built it. Maybe that's just me. What do you guys think? Now, the X card. Um, X card is something I adopted into my convention play, and not so much at home. My Numenera West marches online. I absolutely use the X card. Sean, you still need to do your West marches. I, I feel like I tell you this every time I talk to you. Uh, but I instituted it because it's an easy rule to understand, and I know I can run some dark stuff. And I also know that players sometimes bring things up that other players don't want to deal with. I've had X players or X cards played for players who don't like someone's character and the way they are uh, portraying themselves and you know their specific nuances, and they play the X card for it. And we rewound and. You know, we, we figured out what it was. But John uh, Stravanopoulos invented that. We used to do This Imaginary Life of the Gentleman on YouTube, and we talked about the X card. And I had adopted it and done TV ratings or movie ratings, you know, G through NC-17 to now, you know, to that kind of rating system. And it worked well, but I found that peer pressure happened. If someone picked R, everybody would pick R, even if someone was starting to touch the PG-13. The X card takes away from that. Instead, I tell everybody, this is going to be an R-rated game. If something happens during an R-rated game that you don't like, you let me know. So that X card's awesome. I don't need it as much for my home game. I think, I think the X card is really for those newer people or people you haven't ran a lot because uh, they don't know you well enough to say, dude, this upsets me. I can't do this. So think about using it at your conventions, maybe not for your home game. Love the show, guys. Uh, keep on going, and one of these days... One of these days, you're going to have to have me on the show. <laughs> have a great time, guys, and go roll some dice. <laughs> just, had you, just had you on the show, dude. I love Frank House. I know. He's fun. And that's actually that's a pretty good, that's some good perspective. You know, Eric, I think, to your question around the attunement rules, um, I don't, you know, honestly, I think the last time I played... I'm playing now more 5e than I've run it, and um, generally I I think they get ignored. <laughs> Honestly, I can't remember the last time anyone who's run 5e for me or that I've run it or when I've run it where we 
hardcore looked at the attunement rules. Maybe at the beginning, but it seems like they're ignored and treated kind of old schooly. I think I need to take another look at them. Maybe, uh, hmm, interesting. Good question, though. And I like yeah. the I like the uh, comments around the X card. I like those pieces too, as well as everything else, of course. Mister Frank House, thank you very much, sir. Yeah, thanks, Eric. Hope to see you at Gary Con, dude. Absolutely. Next up, you're gonna read. Uh, whatever, dude. You 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 go, man. You go. Corey Wynn. Mighty hails to the creatures of Planet BS. Insert glowing praise and five-star reviews here written by bots for your general awesomeness and cool factor and other measurements of greatness. Now that's out of the way. On to commentary on episode, the latest one. Let's break it down by what I'll play versus what I'll run. What do I look for in a game? Well, factor number one, is it going to be fun? Will it be a good use of time spent? If so, then sure, let's do it. I'll play any game, any system at least once. One shot is a good way to at least test the waters to see if it's going to be a future or go or investment. Pretty easy going as a player, and I'll go along with things and do my best to evaluate system apart from the one running it. I don't think a system should be judged based on who's running it if it, it if it's a negative reaction. If it's a negative reaction. But the flip side is also true. A great GM can make a stinker of a game good if they know their stuff. There are some other factors which I'll cover in general in the last paragraph. If I run games, well, I'm most comfortable running fantasy games. Why? Because I can darn well make up anything I want for any given situation. I'm not a superb pop culture person, so I may not catch every new phrase or hot TV slash movie slash social media thing and incorporate that into a modern day game. I'm not a diehard know every fact about Star Wars or Star Trek or Spaceballs Universe GM, so I'll play in that but not run it. My comfort level lies in where I can easily incorporate player suggestions along with my own stuff, even if I include facets of above examples. It's all in my comfort level of fantasy, where to me and the players in my game it makes sense. Now on to the practical side of things for a game. I'm fortunate enough I'm fortunate with my group of players and such that we all get along and are on board with stuff. So the what's acceptable at the game thing is only something that comes up when new people want to join. For us as a group, it's this. How long are we going to play said game? Take, for example, Amazing Spectacular Soldiers Combating Rotund Aardvarks Chewing Kitchens. Ah, I love that game. <laughs> That's one of my favorites. I love that game. If you haven't played Amazing Spectacular Soldiers Combating Rotund Aardvarks Chewing Kitchens. Also known as Ass Cracks for. Ass Cracks. Also known as Ass Cracks for those yeah. in the know, just so you know. Keep going. We only, we only, playing, we only play in a one shot? If so, how much does Ass Crack book cost? 50 bucks? Eh, pass. If it's a long-term game, then fine, we'll buy the core book and play. I don't have many games on my shelf I haven't played. Shadows of Estrine and Trudvang Chronicles will play soon, I hope. Most of the players I don't want to financially invest in or put the work into a PC unless we can play, plan to play long term. If you aren't playing Ass Crack for a long time, then why develop up a backstory? 
Why shell out cash for dice if they use unconditional dice? Why give it your all when you know as a player or GM DM that, hey, you're playing the uh, this other game in a month or less? We all want to play fun games. Also, we all want to feel some investment emotionally and more from the products we buy. I know at this stage in my life I am going to play anything, but if I'm going to run or invest at a pseudo-collector level, I want to have a return on that, whether it's playing online, face-to-face, or at a con. I want to, at the very least, play every game I've spent money on. If I'm running a skew fantasy, since that's the easiest for me to adapt to on the fly. As to your other queries about what's going... Blah, blah, blah. As to your other queries about what's okay at the table and all that, I think you all covered that stuff. If you don't think you have, I'd recommend starting at episode one and working your way forward. There you go. Attaboy, attaboy. If some small stone didn't get unturned, then you have a show topic. See you crazy kids at GaryCon. Thanks, Corey. Yeah, Corey. Thank you, man of war, Corey. I'll tell you what, man. Some guys, my buddy Kevin, for instance, will tell you, you know, regardless of the game, Kevin's going to drive that character like he stole it, right? He's going to, if he's playing a one-shot with me, if he's playing DCC and he doesn't know if this will ever turn into something he likes or not, the same amount of backstory and passion will go into any game that he plays. At least that's what I've always seen. Maybe he's changed, but that's outside of my games, but that's what I've always gotten out of him. And I know there are some other folks who feel much that same way. However, I think by Corey calling this out here, this is like this is Corey being honest with us and with himself saying, look, this is how I approach a game. And I think that was tr- kind of where I was trying to, well, not kind of, that was where I was trying to go, <coughs> excuse me, with the last episode to be able to say, well, you know, what is it that you want? Are you really, have you thought about this stuff? Not necessarily having to put fingers to keyboard or pen to paper, but this is how Corey approaches it, and, and that's an absolutely legitimate way. It's just knowing that that's what you like to do and then not being afraid to, like, you know, put your put your hand up and say, hey, this is why I don't want to buy the rule book or whatever it is, you know. That's know what you like and uh, be familiar with that. That's cool. Very cool. Ready? Next one? Yeah. All right. Abram Nathangel? Abram. Abram? Oh, good, good Lord. Abram. All right, Abram. He says, I picked up your podcast about six months ago. And I've listened to nearly half of it at this point. Good job, Abram. I feel like either you or your listeners usually cover the topics very well, and so I haven't had a reason to write in until now. Uh-oh. This, this, <laughs> this, this could be bad. <laughs> he said it's been all good up until this up point, until this point. Is, what he, is what he's saying. Yes, yeah, very nicely, though. Yeah. He continues, however, regarding your episode, you meet in a tavern. I feel like there's one small yet important detail is yet to be hit on. Allow me to elaborate. A campaign can start in any number of ways. <coughs> Excuse me. And having the, the plot kick off in tavern is a perfectly acceptable flashpoint in any setting. However, the concept of the character characters all meeting in a tavern with no connecting backstory has historically caused problems for my gaming group. Usually players like myself pick up a tabletop RPG because we want to roleplay, we want to throw ourselves into our characters, and do our best to be true to their desires, beliefs, and intentions. For this reason, it is often difficult to maintain our suspension of disbelief when our characters are asked to go on a long, drawn-out quest campaign with complete strangers. When these characters would have to be, quite literally, placing their lives in the hands of people they don't know and have no reason to trust. If you just wanted to play hack and slash dungeon crawl strategy game, then the role-playing aspect of it doesn't really matter as much, and you can all meet for the first time in a tavern for the sake of time. But, if you want to be playing a longer campaign where these characters are expected to stick together as a cohesive party, 
then giving <clears throat> then giving them connecting backstory is absolutely critical. As a personal analogy, um, I was once in a 3-5 D&D campaign where I decided to switch characters in order to bring in someone who would better fit the party at the time. For some context, the party was currently committing treason against the reigning monarch and was hiding out in the basement of a sympathetic general. The DMI devised a plan where my new character would be investigating the party, thus putting him in contact with them so that he could join their group. Of course, as soon as the party caught my new character snooping around, they captured him and ended up killing him for knowing too much. <laughs> players, players, players. Needless to say, the character never joined the party. This may be a rather extreme example, but it goes to show that when the players are getting into character, the reason that they are all together is tantamount is of tantamount importance. That's why I always force my players to come up with the reason to be together whenever I'm the game master. Sorry for the long email, guys. Keep up the good work. Love what you guys are doing. Well, Abram, I'll tell you, man, that's don't be sorry. <laughs> as you can as you can see by the other ones we get on a regular basis, long is not our problem for this stuff. So this is a good uh that is true. I, I think the, the concept of meeting versus starting is, it's not even like sp splitting hairs, but the terms themselves are different. Oh, we're going to start in a tavern versus I don't even know who the hell you are in a tavern. That's a totally different, totally different thing. And I think definitely worth calling out. Thank you, Abram. I got to say, man. Now, I don't know if your GM or DM listens to this show. Mm -hmm. So I want to be somewhat courteous but i could see that freaking coming a mile away like his character dying and the the the, oh, group, the, the the example at the end yeah i mean if i were a player character and my dm proposed that i'd be like are you fucking kidding me they're gonna freaking kill me you want me to infiltrate their group i'm not gonna be a part of their group that's the whole point of like that was kind of the point of our topic is how do I trust these guys? I, well, I don't even know these guys. Well, that's exactly his, his reason, right? It's like, look, I tried it, and uh, everyone else had a reason to know each other but me, and hey, guess who got killed? The guy that nobody knew. Well, and that's <laughs> you know? fine if you don't know him, but you're actually making him an adversary. Well, in a way, and that, and that's, <laughs> and that happens, right? There's a lot of times a lot of people have talked about over the many years of the internets and even before that at conventions and talking to your buddies, you got that one guy who likes to make – the loner likes to make the Punisher or Wolverine or I'm the best reason what I do and what I do isn't pretty and I don't I don't follow any rules and that's really that's entertaining in a comic book or a novel when they're specifically written to do certain things they don't go too crazy or get too stupid but that excuse of you know it's hard to pull the excuse of well I'm just playing my character I would totally murder people I don't know that's just who I am I <laughs> I've joked, uh, I think I've said this before on the show, I had a player ages back who had a tendency to make his characters with in the old vampire game <clears throat> uh, where you have merits and flaws. He would have merits of, you know, things that were obviously very helpful and flaws of things like, and our joke of him would be like, must collect all gold, required to kill enemies until dead. It's like this is a flaw, right? You know, <laughs> that was how he approached all of his flaws. I'm, I'm like addicted to, I'm addicted to magic. Are you fucking, What? Yeah, basically, if there's any magic items, i got to make sure I have it. Uh, oh, that's a... Fl what? You're just... What the hell? But, anyway, I uh, I thought this was... That was a good example, and I think you're right, Sean. Yeah, as soon as I started reading that, I'm like, he's dead. There's no way that's going to work. Uh, yeah, I mean, or if not like, dead, he's tortured. He's tortured, wishes he, wishes he was dead. Yeah, it'd be like, hey, uh, so here's the deal. Uh, the group is a member... They're a group of do-gooders, 
I'm going to make you a part of the Thieves Guild, and you're going to have to infiltrate the group. Yeah, what could possibly go wrong with that? <laughs> How about just making them another like reinforcement that is assigned by whoever is backing the group? Yeah, or the other way to do it is have the character approach them and say, look, you know, I was assigned to infiltrate, but I, you know, I've decided to come clean and I want to tell you everything about it. Um, I want to join you guys. Here's some more information so we can further commit treason. No way. That might work. No way. That might work. No way. No way. Well. Players are inherently paranoid, man. You're gonna frickin' you're <laughs> well, gonna get too many too many ifs, <laughs> too many doubts, man. It well, especially especially when you're talking about we're com- currently committing treason against the reigning monarch and was hiding out in the in the basement of a sympathetic general. That means that there's a whole horde of people looking for your ass, looking to kill you. And somebody comes up and says, Hey, I know I don't seem like a friend, but I probably I really am, I swear. Uh, you're right. Paranoia can kick in. Like what the hell, man? Anyway, good stuff, Abram. Thank you for I'm, listening. I yeah. appreciate it. And so does Sean, of course. Blake Ryan. Good day, fellas. Oh, God. <laughs> what do we, regarding episode 174, what we want in our games? I require the GM to be invested. All right, man. Lay it down. <laughs> Blake Ryan doesn't fuck about. No. When they stayed up the night before playing computer games, then say they are tired and have prepared nothing for a fortnightly game. Then they put no effort into the game. You get three slow combats with little plot, no interaction. They notice the combat is slow and escalate the numbers or difficulty to increase the excitement, which does not work. It's the equivalent of inviting people over for dinner and serving them cheap microwave meals. Well, note note to self: don't don't invite don't invite Blake over. <laughs> yeah, you you don't want to eat at Sean's house. Anyway, carry on. Oh, you came all the way from Australia. Sweet man, here we got these. I got a hungry man. That'll work for a- you. <laughs> Which you ever heard of Swanson's? <laughs> oh, this will be great. It's, it's uh, American cuisine. <laughs> if you are going to GM, you should produce a level of quality and have some work ethic, either before the game, during, or both. Dang, Blake. I'm cool with improv GMs and a combat focus campaign, but you can do one or both, and it will still be engaging for players and relevant for characters. I require the GM to be interactive. The GM does not have to take and use every player idea. Some they can use later, some they can modify and implement. But if they take none because they only run that adventure in front of them, then the whole group, including them, missing out on a very dynamic and entertaining game. Leeway for newer GMs, of course. Interactive games in one of the ways a GM can enjoy the game and let it feel less like work. PBTA games, or Powered by the Apocalypse games, excel in this area. And next opportunity, I highly encourage everyone to try a PBTA game. Yes, including you, Brett and Sean. Don't just take it from me as Kev about as Kev about Monster Hearts or Chris about Dungeon World. Hey man, I've run Dungeon World. I've, I've played Dungeon World once. Yeah, I've run it. But that's a fair point. I think it is one of the reason one of the cool things Sean and I've said this, one of the cool things at conventions is to be able to grab those other games and play them. Or get online and say, Hey, I'd like to do this. Is anybody running one on Roll Twenty or something I can do one shot? So very good point. 
playing those games that have those type of interactions baked directly into them can be a good way. Even if you don't like the game itself, you can be like, I like the that feature or function of the game. I can easily cut paste into any other game if you need to. You know, I think it is... I think Blake's... Um, <clears throat> we, we bag on... We do bag on players periodically. Like, God damn, come on, bring your A game, you little fucker. What, what are you here? You're playing, you're not really playing. All right. But I think we have all been at the table with a game master who's half-assing it or just not into it. Oh, or don't get me, yeah, doesn't don't get want me to wrong. Be. They're shitty GMs. Oh, yeah. I think I, I keep... Like the one that makes you a part of the antagonist, <laughs> and, and says, then they're going to try to match you up with the player group. It, like, promises, is... it promises it'll work out fine. Yeah, that shit is... That's setting everybody up for failure. At least the new guy. Now Abrams never gonna write to us again because we <clears throat> laughed at that story. But anyway, no, no. no. Anyway, I think one of the important piece that Blake has in there is leeway for newer GMs. Of course, there is. <coughs> AJ and Alana were talking to me, my two little ones, after they ran. AJ said I made some mistakes. I screwed this up, whatever. And I said you, you're not going to learn until you do it more. Uh, AJ plays drums and he's in taekwondo with me, and Alana plays piano and. She plays something else. I can't remember what wind instrument she's playing right now. I can't remember what it was. She switched. Is it is it made out of brass? No, it is not. It's a woodwind. Oboe. There it is. Oboe? Yeah, which is apparently really difficult. Anyway, <clears throat> so I told her and he, it's like those things. It takes time. You have to practice at it. And the only way to practice <clears throat> is to freaking do it. You can think about it all day long, but you got to get at the table and try. So I think... Um, I think that piece where you, the newer GMs get a little leeway, but the other component there is, and we've talked about this as being good players, is <clears throat> if the GM is struggling or you see a good idea, feed that to that person so then you can help the newer GM out and they'll learn and they'll grow. But otherwise, uh, Blake, I absolutely agree with you, man. If <laughs> if the GM isn't invested and the players are all ready to go, what the hell are you doing there, man? It's just, you feel like, you feel like, really? Really? This is great fun. That was one of the worst con games I ever had was at <clears throat> Gen Con. I think in early 90s, Buddy and I went, and uh, the guy had run the same adventure like three times. I'm like, oh, okay, this is third time. He should be good at it by now. He fucking, he phoned it in. He did not want to be there at all. It was an abysmally bad game. But again, he wasn't invested. He was just putting in his time so he could get his free badge. That's what it came down to, which is just a sad, sad thing. But anyway, good stuff, Blake. Thank you, man. Yeah, thanks, Blake. All right. Let's get into the main topic. Onward and upward. All right, Brett. You ready for this, Sean? I don't know, man. I, I failed my homework assignment. I know, I know. My dog ate my book. <laughs> it was a PDF. <laughs> digital format. Uh, your digital format book. I started reading it, but I just didn't get to the part where we were going to talk about. The today. thing where I said, hey, get to page like 51 and start there. You just ignored did, it. Did but, you actually tell me? Uh, yeah, I did. The, the oh. nice part was, though, that you actually started at one and began working your way forward. Which I, I think I think I've just drilled that into everybody's <laughs> head so long. You, could, you couldn't help it. All other instructions were gone. Yeah. <clears throat> anyway, so one of my favorite articles by John Wick back in. Back in the day, he wrote an uh, article series called Play Dirty on uh, Pyramid Magazine, Steve Jackson Games. Uncle Steve. Uncle he, Steve! Yeah, I don't even know if Pyramid, I don't think Pyramid is online anymore. It used to be, it went from print to an online magazine. At the time, I was kind of getting, I was getting into GURPS, and that's where I got hooked into Ken Height, honestly, because I was reading Ken Height's um, 
suppressed transmission column that was also being published there. <clears throat> well, I'm sure now it's called uh, Munchkin. <laughs> yeah, probably. Munch, Munchkin Mid. Munchkin Mid, yeah. Pyramid yeah. of Munchkin Skulls or something. Right. Anyhow, one of the articles that he brings up, um, it's called Dirty Fighting. It was uh, episode five. <clears throat> and if you're interested in this, you can go to follow our little link and you can get to uh, Drive Through RPG. And uh, the Play Dirty compilation is there. You can buy the PDF of it. It's not that expensive. Anyway, <clears throat> so he talks about this idea about hit points in your character sheet as a problem, kind of as far as believability, blah, blah, blah. So I'm going to just kind of quote directly from the thing that kind of got me thinking about it. Excuse me. <clears throat> Let the old whistle there. So John says, let's start with a basic problem. They're called hit points. They're also called wounds, stamina points, and a few other pretty names. When all said and done, they're hit points. Players believe the hit points make them safe. I can still fight, they tell themselves. I'm only down 10 hit points. They continue to fight until they reach a level of uncertainty. I've got 15 hit points left. Got to make it back to the cleric. And then they run away. This is an easy one to solve. Take the hit points away. <clears throat> In the article, he talks about kind of different ways to do this um, and so on. But one of them is it's the concept of making combat hurt realistic combat narrative and creative. Um, I know Jonathan Tweet had this in one of his game systems. I cannot recall which one. John mentions it, mentions Jonathan's name in the article as well. But the concept behind hidden hit points is the game master keeps track of all the damage and hit point totals, and the players never know how many hit points they have ever. They don't know. They got a rough idea, right? The cleric knows, as John says, the cleric knows he's rolling D8s, and the fighter knows he's rolling D10s, the thief knows he's rolling D6s, but they never know for sure. <clears throat> you know, then the question is, how do they know how hurt they are? Um, it's That's where the narrative combat comes in. And basically what he's talking about is figuring out percentages of the hit points and saying, hey, if you're at 10% loss, a 20%, a 25%, etc., you do it before the game, prep yourself, and then assign descriptors for the hit point loss. You get 10% of your hit points gone, that's eh, a flesh wound. 25 that's eh, a crippling hit, major blood flow, loss of sensation in the limb, um, fifty percent, something much, much worse. Um, <clears throat> as he says in there, and uh, I would say if you've ever seen Saving Private Ryan or any of those uh, <laughs> those types of movies, there's plenty of graphic detail as to what happens, like when a bullet hits you, and so on and so forth. Anyway, there's something <clears throat> I was actually my wife asked me every night. She goes, "What's your show about tonight?" And I said, "Hidden hit points." I explained it to her, and she said, "That's stupid. I'd never play in a game like that." And I yeah, said, where you don't know them? Yeah. She's yeah. like, no, I want to know what my hit points are. How would I know? So I explained to her. She goes, that, that doesn't make any sense. So, Sean, what's your in, initial reaction to uh, what I just babbled at you? No. Are, are you with my wife? That's fucking yes. dumb. Susan is wise. <laughs> I love Susan's approach to this. <clears throat> so the flip of it to me was I said, well, I said, have you ever played? And somebody asked you as a game master, God, we've done they tallied up every group, and especially in D&D, has somebody somewhere who's tallied up how much damage they've been doing to the monster. We've done 150 points of damage to the, guy, to the dang giant. I can't believe he's still up. Is he even hurt? Oh, my God. And someone looks at the game master. I remember back in high school. Does he look like he's almost dead, like 50% dead? Can I get, like, on a scale of 1 to 10, how dead does he look? Now, granted, you know, 
gamers are more savvy now, so they ask, is he we- is he wheezing? Is he wavering? Is he staggering? Does he appear concussed? You know, they're asking more cinematic questions. How's the, how's the bad guy doing? And I said, players never know how many hit points the monsters have, but they're hitting him. <clears throat> and I said, I, what happens then is this team approach, if you apply it to the monsters, I said, is basically what you end up doing as a game master. You hit them, and they seem like, oh, that troll doesn't move. Ah, it's fine. Ah, it's, it's fine. Oh, the giant seems okay. And then, pow, the dwarf hits that giant. You go, crack. You just you, you hit him a solid blow to the chest, and the wind the, just knocks the wind out of him. He staggers back. He's reeling. Boy, that one really hurt him. That description, which I've heard thousands and thousands of times from myself, other game masters over the years, everyone goes, ah, that's the sign. We finally really wounded him. And then they go in for the kill. And to me, when I when I read this, and I was just paging through old uh, Game Master books and articles I had, which is why I went back to Play Dirty, because I like to reread it from time to time. And I thought about this. I'm like, you know, I should I do this sometimes in my games with players, where you get hit, and I try to describe the strike type of thing. And um, inflict. This is where critical charts used to come in handy, right? Because the crit chart would say, "Well, you know, per DCC, I have blown your arm off, or I've smashed your hand, or crushed your eyeball, or something." Um, <clears throat> but there's something about this approach that seems to me it probably be challenging to try, but I think would definitely be worth a try to uh, to have it. Now, granted, you there's the, always the chance that you because you don't know how many hit points you have. How long do you know how to fight, or how long do you know you're safe? Is that the problem, Sean? Is that what you're thinking? When not knowing it? Yeah, if you don't know it. Why Why do you have to know it, I guess? Yeah, it's... Yeah. I, I, I'm torn on this, Brett, because Come I... Come on, you big baby, what do you need your hit points for? I know, I'm torn on this because you're right, it's a, it's a kind of a metagame thing, right? And if I'm like that big on meta gaming, it's totally a meta game thing. You're watching; it's like insanity points or any point track yeah. that you can watch yourself slowly crawl down. Yeah, how many hit points do you have? I got five. <clears throat> shit, you many, what's what's your max? Fifty. Fuck, you're oh, almost shit. dead. How much you got left? Ten. We do it all the time. We do it every time I game as a player too. Like I'm at half. I'm at I'm at about a quarter. I try not to, but it, I can't help but think that that's always been. How we've broached it. Yeah. It has. It's, I mean, uh, I'm guilty, okay? There. <laughs> All right? I'm a hypocrite. <clears throat> so one thing is that the, John talks about it, and we, we've talked about this before, too, is that when you, if you describe the type of damage you're doing, the, 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 that's where your critical hit charts come in real handy because they, they tell you something. But then again, critical hit charts only come in when you do a critical hit, something really big and important. So, if you as a player tell me your thief is cornered, one of the goblins broke away from the main fracas, he's found you, he's got you cornered in the in the dungeon room, and he swings at you, and he does a you know <clears throat> a deft in out quick slash, and pow, he hits you right in the left hand. You get this shock that goes right up to your shoulder blade. You know, you just that whole arm goes numb. You're not even sure you're buckler. You don't even know if you're gonna lift the arm anymore. What do you want to do? That's a lot. Then he hits you for two points of damage. Now, granted, depending on how many hit points you have, that's a lot. But a description of you don't know if your left arm works anymore. Do you still fight? 
well, I don't, I don't know if I just took a big hit or not. You, you don't. Your arm doesn't work. That's a big hit, dude. Your arm is not functioning. Your that's your buckler. That means your armor class just just went down. What are you gonna do? You know, you you gonna keep fighting? He's got you cornered. You're gonna beg for mercy. What does your character want to do? Right. That's that's the idea. <laughs> and if you continue to fight, go, no, I can't. He's got me cornered. <clears throat> Screw this. Everything I've got, I do a feint to his knee, and I do a quick uppercut. I want to stick my blade right up through, through his jaw and into his brain pan. You roll, you hit, boom, done. The blade goes up. Everything you just described happens. <laughs> Goblin falls, spray of blood. You don't even have to roll dice for that. That's true. Now, <clears throat> that descriptive and that the little, all those narrative, narrative components take a lot of time to yeah. think up to implement and so on <clears throat> and like we just talked about with you know new gms it requires practice you know as blake ryan said you know you got to give newbie gms a break and you also would have to give players and game masters who would be trying something like this new or at least um <clears throat> a break because it's going to take longer to come up with descriptions and so forth if you're not used to it Oof. Yeah. I don't know, man. Cuz a lot of what hit points is at least in D&D is that it's it's, <clears throat> it's well, I mean it's exhaustion, it's a bunch of stuff that kind of comes into play. Cuz yep. it's not all I mean you could hit armor. Yep. So, I mean in D&D you have saving throws protect you, armor class protects you, and hit points protect you. Yeah, right. three different levels of protection. <clears throat> yeah. So still using the, the again, using D&D as, the, as a granddaddy example, is you can still roll, roll to hit, and if it is turned or whatever, you can, there's, you know, you, you, he struck at you, smashed into your armor. Thank God it was there. It saved you. The next one comes in into a much earlier episode. I can't remember what num- <clears throat> number it is. I can say, pow, he hits you, and he, you know, tears the side plate right off your, your plate mail. Your left side is now completely exposed. He didn't hurt you, but he's done something to expose you, and you're pretty sure the next shot's coming for your left side again. And then the same is true for you, for the player. Back to the <clears throat> back for the DM, right? You've got whatever horrible space monster is attacking your Jedi, and you get to use that lightsaber to do something cool besides hit him for damage, right? Which is where you know games like um, FFG and um, the Star Wars games that like the one you ran for us, Edge of the Empire, the way that they function, and Frank House brought this up too, is they kind of demand just by the way they function more narrative power to them, right? So a game like that, if you're rolling well and the dice tell you, not necessarily critical, but enough advantage or whatever, you could say, well, the space monster's attacking me. I'm able to use my, my lightsaber, you know, parry the blow. I destroy his primitive hand axe and then slice his knee to hobble him so I can escape. And you look at the dice and show me like, yeah, that totally, uh, yeah, the players are like, oh, that's totally cool. Yeah, I absolutely buy into that. And then that scene is set and done. So that's a, that's a case where the mechanic really helps to kind of helps to do that. You still have wound tracks and stuff there, but at least in a system like that, you have the narrative components to the fight and, those types of special activities, I'm, I don't know what else to call them you know, off the top, but where that, that narrative description of combat is almost required in a way. Well, you got critical, you got, you have critical hits in oh, yeah. Star Wars, yep. the Star Wars system. So, you know, shit could 
hit the fan if you hit that critical hit chart. Mm-hmm. That's very true. I forgot about that. But yes, that. But see, that's more narrative. Like D and D is not narrative, man. So it can be, <clears> but it's that's the problem. That's probably the big beef, right, with doing it this way. If the system facilitated it, like Edge of the Empire Genesis base system, you you look at it and it's good or bad and with a with a advantage. Mm-hmm. It's it's narrative. You could you could put what this is all about into that. Yes, you could. That's what it is. That's what it that's what that system does. Yep, if you want if you want to assist if you if you require mechanics to make that happen, then you're going to then you need to find a system that has the mechanical tools to do that for you. Yeah, I think playing something <laughs> like D&D you they used to have the bloodied rule. I'm sure people are yelling about bloodied. So in 4th edition, if a monster was at half of its hit points or lower. It was bloodied. Mm-hmm. It's a, a bloodied condition is what it was called. Yep. So the DM would say the monster's bloodied. Oh, okay. Well, then I know it's halfway done. Which then would be, you know, or what are my, my buddies? Well, they look bloodied. Well, I better go heal them. Yep. So the thing with D&D is a single attack roll um, or any game like that, which kind of extrapolates out or um, vagifies the activity down to a single die roll, which is a series of slashes, chops, feints, ducks, dodges, spins, and all that other kicks, punches. And that whole combination of stuff that your fighter did is 12 points of damage. Not necessarily just with a sword. could be 12 points of damage with a shield, plus this, plus that, anything. It's the uh, how, he, how he or she attacks. And I don't necessarily think, <clears throat> even if you don't take away the hit points completely, even if you start to, in a 5e game, start to implement things like conditions or whatever, the idea is basically, if you if you look at hit points to your to your, your statement of, like, it's metagaming. Look, I got five hit points left out of 50, I should flee. Or if you don't necessarily know how many hit points you have, if the descriptions make it feel more dangerous to you, right? Is staying in combat, I think one of John's points in the article is like, look, if you stay because you've got enough hit points, or if you stay even though you've been told that your left arm is numb and you can't see out of your right eye and your right hand is slick with blood while it grips the uh, while it grips the hilt of your blade, which one sounds a little more heroic to stay in the fight, right? And people everywhere have, you know, when I play D&D, and I know when you play it too, we tried to add some flair to the combat. When you hit them, you do a bunch of damage, or you dodge, you say, how did I dodge? Oh, well, he swings at me, wow, but my crutch is on the edge of my shield, and we add those narrative flares, and that's really cool. But there is no impact to combat. If I tell somebody that, hey, he hit you, you damaged your armor, you lose one point in your armor, and your left armor's numb, so you can't use your shield either. Fuck. My left armor's numb? Yeah. Okay, that's not good. If I hit you and I describe uh, damage to your knee, then I, I, <laughs> crippled, wounded, you know, all those types of things come into play. And I know that's kind of the point in a lot of games with the critical hits only. And maybe that's just because that helps to make players last longer? I'm not. I'm not sure, but there's something about this that sings to me, and I, I think it. I think it'd be worth a try, even in a D and D game. 
if you, if you get players again who buy into it and want to give it a go, I think it'd be worth a shot. I've never done it. I've never done. It. I mean, I had bits and pieces of it, try to get more narrative and so forth, uh, and it would probably make for a different style of game, right? Yeah. You just don't think it would work at all. It just it depends on the game you're playing. I think. I think if you're running this into D and D and you tell your players like, hey. You're not going to know your hit points? Well, if you've got the right players, it doesn't matter. And I say that knowing, like, oh, if I can try it, and your player's like, sure, let's try it. If they like it, then you keep going with it. So who keeps track of it? You? Yeah. Boy, another thing the GM has to keep track of. That's not that hard. He's breaking it in chunks. True. I mean, the other option is you do things like, look, basically, (laughs) again, from the article, John mentions it, and having... Anybody who's been in martial arts, wrestling, <clears throat> wrestling's a martial art, any type of physical combat or hitting anything, the first hit, the first solid hit is the one that causes your opponent to leave an opening or to be stunned or whatever. Basically lets you get in the second devastating hit. After the second devastating hit, it's all over about the kicking. Because at that point, <clears throat> dude or lady is on ground and you're curb stomping. Right? The fights, 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 fights. You watch... One of those uh, YouTube videos of somebody, you know, they finally had enough, they kicked the fuck out of the bully. It's swing, 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 clock. The one hits, hits a guy upside the head, he just drops like a rock. Bam, and he's done. All the other stuff kind of matters. The half-ass body blows, the sort of this, sort of that. But it doesn't take much. It comes down to one thing. And knowing that at any time when you walk into combat, you know, the other guy gives a descriptor, look, the orc walks up to you, and he grabs for your shield. What do you mean he grabs for my shield? Yes, roll. Yep, he gets it. He tears it completely out of your hands and throws it across the room. The fuck? You know, I mean, it's different. It's a, a different approach to combat, but there's something about it, and maybe it's just my inner thespian screaming he wants to come out, but there's something cool about that type of narrative approach to combat. You still use the dice to say whether you hit or not, but... You still think you think I'm crazy? You're screaming crazy at me. <laughs> I think it's just too radical. It's too it's radical. radical. It's crazy radical. Unless I have a game system that has hardcore mechanics that allow it, I just can't let it happen. Is that what you're telling me? Uh, you just can't be. I mean, you can't be creative yeah. without a mechanics. So that, that allows creativity. Is that what I'm here? <laughs> well, I think you hmm. poke, 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 poke. I know. <laughs> it's like I don't know it's 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 a mechanical piece that you're trying to get creative with mm-hmm. and sometimes I think that again depends on the the if the game is designed in a particular way to facilitate that because you incorporate it into the way you want it to run I don't know man I get this I get this picture of the bicycle in my brain. And the bicycles. Usually a looks, bicycle in a sword fight? That's fucking ballsy. Why, That's ballsy. I like, like it. I don't know why I'm coming up with this specific analogy, but I'm thinking gears because it's very mechanical. Okay, so gears. Mm-hmm. And then you're trying to remove the gears and make it a pretty picture of art. But you're trying to get the art to do what the gears are made to do. Maybe this is a really, really, really shitty analogy, but I'm kind of like trying to figure out. So, 
to me, D&D is a toolbox game. Oh, God, here we go. <clears throat> D&D is like GURPS. It's a very specific, very generic game for telling D&D stories. Okay. Powered by the Apocalypse for Dungeon World need, is a lot more pointed and direct as to what it does and what it's for. Um, <clears throat> Fantasy Flight Games, um, uh, with the, the Star Wars stuff, it's much more geared specifically towards, again, that type of story or whatever. But those mechanics, um, it, it, that, that whole game is built around that. Yes, yeah, somebody's screaming, well, then just play the Genesis system, Brett, you dumb fucker. That's the game you want to play. Well, I don't, I don't know. I don't know if that's necessarily true because I don't mind hacking up game systems and so on. And the reason for me D&D is, is fun is because, I, you know, the map is not the territory, as Matt Colville would say, and I can do whatever I want with it. No one's going to come and yell at me that I'm playing D&D wrong, and if they do, they get the I fuck will. out of my house. Well, I'm not, I will. I won't play with you I anymore. Will. I will. I will tell you. <laughs> All right, I won't play with you anymore. <clears throat> anyway. Oh. I do get what you're saying, is that if there is, how do I say this? So there is or are other systems that probably do exactly what we're talking about here or close enough to it. They're very specific about it. And again, this is an old article that John wrote ages back. Um, It just, I happen to be rereading, just parsing through, looking at different stuff. Like, oh, you know, I've never really done this idea of really, you know, excuse me, having very narrative-based combat type stuff. There's always been, if the system doesn't have narrative rules, then you can't do it, or people get crabby about it. And I think it'd be worth a try to see if it would function. I think it would definitely change the style of game you play within within the core system. But if you're using a D20 in D&D to hit people, and the only thing I'm changing is how damage is portrayed and described. I'm not breaking the game. At least I don't think I am. Yeah. No, I don't think you're breaking the game. I'm just not doing it right. <laughs> <laughs> I think there's going to be an element of I am a player. I have a player. I am a player. And I have a player character. Mm hmm. And on my player character, I know. I know what's on my sheet. Yep. That sheet makes up the basis of my character. It tells me what I look like, which has to do with my race, and then physical characteristics to include my attributes. Mm-hmm. The saves tie into some fluffy fluff stuff, right? I don't. I don't think if you physically looked at somebody, you'd know what their saving throw is necessarily. Though you could argue that... Strength, wisdom, dexterity, constitution, saves, yeah. True, but if you're thinking like AD&D, spells, polymorph, Mm -hmm. rod, staff, wand, stuff, you know, breath weapon, what have you. But... So I think that when you look at... If I take away something off your character sheet, it's going to upset you. <laughs> I don't know, man. I, it's the unknown, which is part of kind of the thing. It's, I mean, um, it's very true. I mean, I, I mean, yeah. When you go into combat, I would. I've not been, thank God. I've not anybody tried to. I've had a gun pointed at me once. That was by a friend of mine who happened to be a cop, which is a bizarre story. I'll tell a different day. 
but I've never had anybody swing a sword at me trying to hack my arm off from my head or something. Um, <clears throat> and I think part of it is to... Hmm. It's kind of maybe it's like an overdeveloped sense of drama on my side, but saying you know looking at hit points as kind of this. Well, I'm safe. I always run away when I have five hit points or less. And then somebody's like, "Why would you run away? Well, I'm almost dead." Yeah, but the bad guy's almost dead too. We're almost sure. And then you get in this weird meta argument as to why I only have five hit points left. This guy does 15 points of damage every time he hits. He's been hitting me 50 percent of the time. If he hits me this time, I'm totally dead. How is that conversation better? than a more narrative approach, right? So I, I'm just I'm looking at those conversations and trying to weigh the two and see would one drive a more fun encounter or a more fun result at my table. And to your point, Sean, I think if I were to sit down with you and say, hey, I want to try it, I, I'm positive you would try it. You'd be like, all right, Brett, let's try it. And at the end of the game, we might say, wow, that was a fucking bomb. <laughs> that sucked. I really didn't like it. It didn't feel very good. It took too much time. I think we'd, I'd rather play that with Genesis, you may say. All right, cool. Very good. Is it something that everybody would, you know, everyone who's listening would want to do? Probably not. But you take a game system that's very simple, like, you know, Swords and Wizardry or some of the retro clones, it's not that big a stretch. At least I don't, I don't think it really breaks it that much. Here's when I'll... <laughs> Here's what I'm going to say. You can't see him, folks, but he's looking at me like I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, like I'm just here, not getting it. Here's what I'm going to say. All right, say it. The origins of D&D comes from a freaking miniatures battles game. And? So a lot of the hit point components have, have got to derive from there. What? It's, I think when you play a miniatures game, you're not doing role-playing games. Right, if you're like, but D hey, is a role playing game. It is a role playing game. That's my point. Okay. So maybe I'm arguing in favor of your bullshit. <laughs> I guess I yeah, be, taking it away from <clears throat> the giving it more than its than the da, 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 hard mechanic. Uh, fuck, I, I just lost where I was going with what you said. So instead of looking at it as a war game saying, hey, look, this unit has five guys left, therefore they'll still stand and fight versus run away. Instead of making armchair general moves, I want to make it so that when my player is fighting the space monster, the Cthuloid creature, or whatever. I do this a lot in Call of Cthulhu <coughs> because one of, the, um, one of the things that a number of people, we could talk about this a different show, Kevin and I were talking about this and other folks is that when you give something hit points, people want to try to fight it, right? The original deities and demigods. When you someone gives Thor hit points, some jagoff would come to a, a gaming convention, look Gary Gygax in the eye, and say, "I killed Thor. I beat your game." I mean, those type of things happened. <clears throat> so when you are playing Call of Cthulhu and you encounter some horrible elder thing, the idea is you cannot beat it. You could shoot it, fight it, blow it up. You drop an atomic bomb on Cthulhu. He disappears and then reassembles, and now he's radioactive. So it doesn't get you anywhere. Those types of things, when you describe the investigator firing round after round into a horrible bird-like monster made out of some weird black oily substance, and just goes pluck, 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 the gun, rat-a-tat-tat, pluck, pluck, and nothing happens, people freak the fuck out. When the creature hits you does and does some damage, but you add the descriptor, 
of these nasty oily suckers somewhere hidden within the oil ripping at your skin like octopus tentacles that's freaky even if it does two points of damage you're like i don't fucking care i don't want that creepy black ass shit crawling over me with weird octopus tentacles hidden in the oil Uh -uh, i'm i'm running people will run away from a description very few people run away from hit point damage you take 20 points of damage big fucking deal i took 30 yesterday you know what i'm saying I do, but if your description is accurate, it, it would give me the same info. If. D&D, there hope. are no mechanics in D&D that tell me that a good description is worth anything. So you can, of course, play D&D or Pathfinder. I hit. I do five points of damage. He swings at you. He misses. He swings at you. swing again. You do 15 points of damage. York falls over. That's a legitimate way to run combat, too. Boring as all hell, but it can be done. I think you could add flavor and still do what you're proposing here. <clears throat> Absolutely. I feel, you don't have to go quite this crazy. We've talked about this before. But part of me wants to go a little crazy. Give it a try and see if it would function. Because when I've run, I think the other reason that this came to my mind, this just hit me now, is a while ago somebody asked us about um, role-playing online, like in chat rooms and over text and so forth, and whether you roll dice or not. And I distinctly remember saying, I didn't do that when I've done it. I've just described the events to the players. Again, they're players I know, <clears throat> and I'm working with these guys, and I've gamed with them for years, so there's a level of trust there. And again, yeah, I don't expect everybody to just immediately walk out, do this with complete strangers, and have everybody totally grok it. But I was able to say, hey, you know, your character Newt is hit. You know, the the teeth bite into his into his left knee. He's is twisted. He doesn't think he can run very far now. That was. That was totally fine. It was, you know, it's almost like writing a shared um, novelette or something or a shared short story at that point. We're just trading things back and forth. Um, <coughs> now, granted, the here we're talking about actually using the dice to determine if I hit or if I miss or if I do a strength check or I'm going to try to grapple or I'm going to do this thing or that. So there's still, it's not just me imposing my narrative will on you or you imposing your narrative will back on me. I, as a monster, will do this to you, Sean. I roll. I fail. Okay, good. I want to take advantage of that, says Sean, and then do this. He rolls, he hits, that thing occurs. And there's something about that that to me seems like it would be a lot of fun. It would change the style of play, I think, and maybe even the types of encounters you have. Instead of having hordes of monsters, maybe it would be a little bit different because it would be harder to have in-depth descriptions or maybe your description your descriptions have to be simplified in some places and, and more than others and blah, blah, blah. But I don't know. I think I talked in a total circle there again. I think I did that. <laughs> Fuck. Damn it. But, you know, would you try it if I, if I said, hey, hey, Sean, let's try this? Would you? Yeah, man. Would you, yeah, gru- try. Would you try it grudgingly because I'm your I friend? Would. I'm like, fine, I'll would. try it. Fucking hippie, whatever. Yep, I'll try totally. it. Totally. Totally. <laughs> yep. Exactly. All right, man, whatever. Okay. Sure, I swing. I try to do a big cutty cut at his face. Oh, Now I don't know if I've got one hit point left or if I've got two so you just or sit there 20. And, you just sit there and whine like a little child the whole time. Is that what you do? Pretty much. I'd, I'd pout and make snarky comments and play with a chip on my shoulder, of course. That'd be awesome. <laughs> That'd make it so much fun. Does, it, does anything what I said, though, does it? Does it have any legs to you? Do you think it's neat? like, Or would you just say, hey, just make your descriptions more narrative and move on? Um, or fuck you, Brett, play Genesis. <laughs> I think there is a certain element that appeals to me, but it's not for D&D. Not for D&D. 
I, I think the description of combat would be awesome because I try to do that mm-hmm. as much as I can. But it's still, this is the action, blah, blah, blah. What's your armor class? 20? Okay. All right, you take five. Screech, screechy, screechy, screechy. Yes, erase, okay. erase. I marked down five. Did you mark that down? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I got it. Yeah, it's five, five. Sure it is. You know, now Star Wars, Fantasy Flight Games, eh. <coughs> I mean, you take wounds, take some stress, mm-hmm. you know, feel worn out. Some might have conditions based on their the game. I don't know. I don't know, man. I get it. And there are, as as we pointed out, you know, there are game mechanics out there for other systems that probably do this really, really well. And it might be one of those things that instead of me trying to beat something up, maybe somebody has done it better. <coughs> Excuse me. The other piece, though, is that there's absolutely nothing wrong with tinkering with your own game. We're eventually making something that isn't really Dungeons & Dragons anymore. It's just how Brett games. And if you were ever to write it down, it'd be like, you know, Brett's game, whatever. <laughs> whatever the fuck you'd call it, Lord knows. Any any different than, you know, if, when Sean's running, if Sean were to say, well, this is how I play X, because you don't play it 100% by every rule and every page. You know, we all do it a little bit. But there is a point, I think, where you're leaning, is that if I change the core of it, if I muss with the core of it too much, you need to be sure that you basically you advertise that fact. Like, look, I'm playing with this component, but then there's all these add-ons or bolt-ons. I've dropped off half of it. It's not really D&D anymore. Yeah, I know, but it's just a, we just use the D20 approach because it's in the spells because that's what we like. Okay. I mean, if, if it could be explained, it's not too bad. Right. Hmm. You just don't like my ideas. Yeah, it's, this one's a little too crazy. A little too, a little too crazy for it's you. Nuts. <laughs> it's Brett's off the deep end, man. He's lost his shit. Yeah, that's why I've had a two and a half month long cough. That's my problem. My oxygen deprivation. It's the Cra- fever. It's the fever. The fever's <laughs> hit me. <laughs> anyway, all right, enough of this. If anybody else out there, I don't know if anybody is. Um, <laughs> there's Obviously, Sean and I tried to name a couple different systems. I'm positive there's better ones. Um, if if you know somebody like, oh, Brett, you dumb shit, you should be playing X. This is totally will take care of that for you. Lay it on me, you know, brothers and sisters. If there's a better game out there that does that, I would love to know about it and then go read the mechanics. There's only so many <laughs> so many hours a day I have for researching new game systems. So if somebody's got a fast track to the the system that takes care of this for me, this would be kind of cool. It would be less work for me. Anyway, or if you think I'm crazy and you agree with Sean, I, I just don't want to hear it. <laughs> yeah, who knows? All right, let's go into die roll. I'm all sad, disappointed. All right. All right, die roll. Brett's got some this week. I do. I came out, came out swinging, or I tried to. So apparently, link in the link in the notes, of course, to some birds of prey who are deliberately setting fires. Like carry like there's a forest fire, and hawks like actual birds of fucking prey are picking up burning brands and starting more fires. It's uh, in Australia. Yeah, there are. Um, <laughs> it's, it's it's revenge. These fly, they're flying fire starters. It's, it's crazy weird. Yeah, there are these weird raptors in northern Australia that are uh, actually f- starting fires. I read that, and I'm like, that just sounds like some pissed-off druid. Some 
Druid is like, you know what? Fuck you. Here's the deal. And they've just shapeshifted and they're starting fires. They look like birds, which is going to freak out the locals. Hey, and guess what's happening? <coughs> so, uh, of course, I do have the link to the play, uh, the play Dirty from John Wick. Thank you, Sean, for bringing that to my attention. Because yeah, I forgot to put the actual link in there. Uh, the other one is that Glitter and Blood actual play. This is um, Emily from She's a Super Geek. After I finished up the Streets of Avalon with um, Kevin, Chris, Emily, and Tom, um, Emily decided, we said, hey, Emily, you're running. She said, okay, great. So we're in her uh, Avanti world for this one. We're done with it. All the bits are out there, and they're just getting um, edited, put into play, sound effects, and all the different stuff that Emily wants to do with it. So that's happening. In the meantime, Tom is running uh, Dresden through, um, so I'm playing Fate, which I've never, it's Fate Accelerated. I've never played Fate before. So I'm playing Fate with those guys, which is kind of fun. Uh, the system is kind of cool. I'm trying to get my head wrapped around it in a couple spots. Where I'm like, what? But it's uh, Chris Nizak and Tom and uh, uh, Kev know the system pretty well. So that helps fill in, the, fill in the gaps for me. So, But all in all, having fun. And I'll link in the show notes to the uh, actual play for Glitter and Blood, which is fun. Over to you, Sean. All right. More one-shot D&D adventures for 5e by Geek Dad. So there's uh, there's a few on there that Geek Dad talks about. So if you're looking for one-shots for 5e, there you go. And uh, it was D&D in quotes, so I guess you could use it for other fantasy games. But anyways, uh, second one. We're on Pinterest. I don't know if we said this last time. I did. I think I mentioned it in the last show. I didn't even know we're on Pinterest. You haven't mentioned it. I created it. Uh, I don't know why. There's cool stuff on Pinterest. <laughs> there's some very cool stuff. Yeah, and there's a lot of people that are on there. So I figured why not create one. I think we've got sections of strongholds, uh, gaming tables, and game rooms. I call it kick-ass game rooms. Uh, maps, some other stuff for categories. So, yeah. Damn. Thought it, it's some pretty cool stuff on Look there. Look at you. Got to work there. Nice. Yeah. It's easy just to kind of propagate and share other people's pins that are RPG-related. Inspirational, maybe. Mm-hmm. Uh, Invasion of the German Board Games, posted by Wayne Humphrey, I found on Google+. Plus. Article on The Atlantic. Uh, the Atlantic <clears throat> is not a crappy website by any means, and the article is by Jonathan Kay. So it goes into some of the... The German board games. It's it's so funny. Some of us read this stuff, and it's like, well, geez, now now you guys are right, you know, getting on the bandwagon. <laughs> so let's not knock those guys for like discovering us for the first time. <laughs> it's like it's like discovering a like elephant. Look at this thing. Oh my god, it's it's an elephant. There's a whole country here. It's one. amazing. <laughs> I didn't know there were what people here. Yeah, but I discovered it. Sure, you did. Yeah, arrogant prick. Anyway, carry on. Uh, let's see. And then the last one, as we were speaking about this, I went online and looked up bloodied Derek Myers article on dungeonmaster.com is about three or four years old, but he lists out never say bloodied again. And he goes into a little bit of what Brett's talking about, about, you know, the bloodied condition and how, uh, five from four E to five E and his take on that. So I thought it was kind of interesting. I'll put an article in the show notes. Very cool. Yeah. Listeners. Yeah, Kevin Thulu pointed out a really great review on Harlem Unbound. Um, so I've got a link in the show notes that I posted up in our Google Plus scenario. Uh, scenario. Google Plus community scenario. What the hell is that from? Anyway, Gnome Stew has an article out there by John Arcadian. And John Arcadian, I should have called this out. He is doing a TED Talk. I don't know if you knew that, dude. John Arcadian. 
TED Talk. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah, I think he's done. I don't know if he's done one in the past. I don't know. Well, that's just he's done public speaking. Yes, that's just fucking cool. So anyway, John's got an article out there about uh, Harlem Unbound. So want to call that out? That seems cool. And uh, which is which is powered by the apocalypse? No, fate. No, what the hell system is it? Call Cthulhu and Gumshoe. That's what it is. Gumshoe. Mm-hmm. Yes, yes, yes. It's a Cthulhu mythos game set in Harlem Renaissance of 1920s to the 1940s. Primarily a setting book with character creation and rules. Integration with Call of Cthulhu 7th edition and Gumshoe. Book clocks in at 276 pages. Holy cow. Wow. Very cool stuff. I've heard I've heard a lot of really cool things about this. So I'm thinking of picking up a copy just because it's it's just another really cool bit of stuff. So anyway, right. want to call that one out. Awesome. Oh, the last one, Azrael Arocha, has a little academic essay his game master wrote for his university, From the Darkness It Comes, by the GM Tim. We've got a link in the show notes to that as well. Always cool to see these types of write-ups like that, where our hobby becomes mainstreamy. Kind of neat. Right. Right. All right. What are we talking about next week, Brett? <sighs> I'm not sure, Sean. Might have to try to find something you agree with me on. Haven't liked any. Well, haven't liked any of my ideas lately. I'm feeling kind of put upon. We don't. We don't have to agree, Brad. <laughs> no, we don't. That's kind of boring. Yeah. Hey, you like this? I totally like that. Oh, we should totally like that yeah, some more. Yeah. Super awesome. That's totally yeah, awesome. It's great. Yeah. So I'm not positive yet, Sean. I'm th- I was thinking about digging into player series a bit more, and also um, talking about a little bit about setting books and stuff like that. So um, I'm going to sort it out. I'll hit you with a couple ideas. I apologize. I'm a little bit behind. I see. No, oh. that's fine. All right. Some. Well, this has been another episode of Gaming BS. I'm one of your hosts, Sean. And I'm Brett. Good night and good gaming all. This episode of Gaming BS brought to you with the help from the following BSers. Kevin Lovecraft, Joe Swick, Brett's biggest fan, Forrester Gary, Mark Anthony Benedetti, Eric Jeppesen, Sean Nicholson, Tim Jensen, Palladian, Remy Bilodeau, Jason Hobbs, Hobbs, and friends of the OSR, Wayne Humfleet, James Carpio, Pure Mongrel, Lord Tentacle, Corey Johnston, Brandon Barnes, Dan LaValley, C.W. Mellencamp, The Lost Sailor, Todd McGowan, Misdirected Mark Productions, Old School DM, Jason, Christopher Gray, Finolf, Mirko Froilich, Island Miss Eileen Barnes, Tony Sugarloaf Baker, Todd Crapper, Michael Drescher, Wiss Static, Alexander Auerbach, Neil Benson, Ron Blessing, Chris Steele, Eric the Hoff Hoffman, Soldiers of Misfortune RPG, Christopher Lang, Curtis Takahashi, Gordon Cranford, Mark Tasaka, Larry Hout, Ray Otis, Eli Kurtz, Ron Bishop, Craig Huber, Xavier G, J, V, John Hammersley, Derelict Radio, John Steve, Jared Rasher, Mark Richmond, Thomas Hook, Blake Ryan, Chad Glamon, Sky, Roger Brasslett, Evan Harrison Cass, Craig, Howard Bishop, Christian, Sexy Voice Serrano, Jevin Fitz, Jim Fitzpatrick, Peter Skanes, Scanis, ah, Peter, and the Knights of the Night crew, Josh Wallace, Graham Minert, Corey Wynn, and Andy Hall. Consider heading over to gamingbs.com forward slash support dash us. For ways to support the show. Thanks, BSers! This has been a Litterbox Studio production. production.